Hello and welcome to the Sprint Podcast. The Sprint Podcast is a meeting place for all things agile and product related. In each episode, we'll talk to some of the most knowledgeable people from the space and pick their brains on what is happening out there in the world of product and agile. Today, we've got the highly energetic Sam Yee on the podcast. She's worked strategic and commercial roles in product management, digital analytics, research and audience insights across sports, broadcast, digital media, sponsorship and marketing industries within the UK and Australia. Some of these companies include the likes of Fox Sports, The Guardian, several West Media. Then she's worked as a product lead at KO Sports, then as a head of product strategy and audience insights at the AFL, and most recently as a chief product officer at Aura. Uh, does that kind of cover it, Sam? That covers it. It's a it's a very long list. Um, some people think that's a bad thing. I don't think so. I think I've learned a lot from all of those places and always moved on for bigger and better opportunities, which is a good thing. Okay, fantastic. And what about now? What are you up to at the moment? Uh, yeah, well, at the moment, I'm having my first ever career break after 23 years or so, which is a very strange period for me. Um, but yeah, after working over 20 years in basically media and sport, um, you know, the most recent roles have really focused on the leadership side and coaching and mentoring and supporting people, which I've found that I actually enjoy that part of the role much more. Um, so I'm sort of exploring those type of um, areas, whether I'm doing that for myself or, a, you know, a product role that's that spends more time in that area, um, startups in that area, um, and maybe even the agile coaching and sort of, you know, scrum master type areas as well, where I feel like there's a lot of people leadership, um, you know, in a diverse group there, which, which you're trying to bring together with some common frameworks and tools and things. So looking at all of those kind of things at the moment, which is exciting. Okay, interesting. Um, all right, well, look, I guess we'll kind of hone in on that for a minute. Look, you have such a diverse and varied background. Um, I was looking at your CV before, starting off in marketing, PR, sponsorship, then working as an information manager, as a research manager, as an account director, this is getting exhausting, as a business analyst, as a data manager, as an insights manager, and then you moved into product. So, yep. and you went from lead to head to chief product officer. Yep. Um, look, considering this is a podcast about agile and product space, <laughs> do you be able to provide, you know, maybe some insights into the more, let's say, non-traditional career paths into product? Um, you know, how could others move into the field? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to me, from what I had um, discovered, you know, a traditional path is typically from technology or engineering into product management. There could be, and, you know, a lot of the, you know, Silicon Valley type, um, um, you know, roles as well. I, as you can tell from my diverse um, background, I guess, I have been a bit of everything. Um, and I guess that's just my general curiosity to learn and um, apply new things. And, you know, I find something new and I really want to get good at that and I sort of move um you know, and build upon um, an existing, you know, knowledge base, essentially. So when I think back to, it's funny when you list them all back out like that, and I go, oh, God, yes, I have been working for quite some time. Um, but, you know, probably the easiest way to um, explain is, you know, when I first started out, I'm one of those few people that knew what they wanted to do. I want to work in sports. So I started to collect all the skills I needed to to work in the sports industry and sort of worked my way through that. Um, so, you know, marketing, you know, when I think about, what I was actually collecting were all transferable skills to a product manager role, but I didn't know it at the time. I don't think even a product manager 
title existed, you know, sort of back then. But, you know, I started out in marketing and PR and sponsorship. And so, you know, what are the transferable skills from there? You know, I'm understanding the audience and selling points and how to communicate and storytelling and generating buzz and thinking about the benefits and risks to, you know, whoever we're selling, you know, whatever we are selling to. Um, and I spent a bit of time in, in that area, you know, in my early years. And then, you know, I joined Fox Sports and I joined their digital team. And at that time, digital was very small. Digital was like a cost center. It was just a marketing product. So, you know, it was my transition from marketing to sort of digital marketing in a way to sell um, sports content. And I fell into data analytics, which, you know, that was yay for me. Like I didn't I didn't choose this. And maybe it was just, you know, maybe I'm just lucky in the evolution of my path. Um, but, you know, that period really set off the scene for me um, because I had established a really close relationship with technology and developers because I wanted to know the data that goes in, how does that actually happen? How does that translate to what I'm actually seeing on the website or, you know, the sports app, et cetera? Um, and that sort of, you know, gave me an insight into the technology world, but without, you know, me actually coding, me actually, you know, I was sort of just giving the requirements. This is what I want to measure. This is how, you know, I want it to be, you know, um, this is what I want. These are the types of decisions I want to make on this kind of data. So as you can you just give a little bit of an elaboration or clarification around the type of data that you're working on in those fields. Yeah, so that at that time it was Fox Sports content. So um, all the, uh, you know, match, um, you know, match highlights and match editorial and, uh, you know, magazine or what they call magazine shows, like the TV shows around sports content, um, all the statistics and, um, you know, God, live streaming came in a little bit later. That's how that's how far back we're going. Um, and whether it was, you know, fantasy and tipping games and all those kind of things. So there's content in a product that needed to be um, analysed and, you know, uh, recommended back to the editorial team, the producers, um, even the tech team of what is working and what is not working, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, that, you know, that was my, I guess, introduction into user behaviour. What are the users doing on these, you know, apps and websites and what are we doing to improve it? And are they doing the thing we want them to do? Are they staying there for two hours or two minutes? And is that the right thing at that time? Um, yeah. So all that kind of user behaviour and product performance and trying to, you know, no one can actually, you know, as I used to say to people, I don't have a crystal ball where I can tell you exactly what's going to happen, otherwise I'd be a billionaire. But I can give you um, a very um, data-informed recommendation of what I think might happen based on, you know, you know, patterns I can see. So that was a really great skill to have early on, which obviously helped transfer to products later on. Um, and obviously right now, you know, at that time I was looking into data science when data scientists became a big thing. And, um, you know, I felt for me that wasn't for me, but anyone that's gone deep down into that space, I mean, you know, it's just that on steroids, essentially, just massive, you know, big data, small data, same thing, trying to analyse the data to make informed decisions, you know, for, for the biggest strategic goals. So um, that was really good as well. Um, and then you know, the, re the research roles I've had or the research responsibilities I've had, I guess, um, in the roles I've had in past. Again, I I have been qualified as a researcher, but I, I didn't, I haven't, you know, I've done a few panels and I've done, you know, I've done quant surveys, but did I go really, you know, deep into that? No, but I, I know enough, um, you know, to work out the best practice of, you know, quantitative quantitative surveys and qualitative surveys and observations and things like that. Um, and how to get, you know, succinctly get the insights from that. Um, so you're understanding the customer needs and the pain points. So, you know, I relate this all back to product, but at that time I was not 
really thinking of product. I, that was just the job at the yeah. time. Um, you know, measure this survey, measure this success. I'm like, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do at that time. Um, and then as a digital analyst at Fox Sports, the analytics part was also, um, you know, it's funny, I called myself a digital analyst back then. Actually, I think they called me a business analyst, but I don't say that to people because it's really confusing to people in today's world because I was not a BA in the in the sense that people think um, they're a BA now. So as a digital analyst, it just meant t taking all the information and research and data um, available to help, you know, whatever uh, product strategy we had for the webs and uh, for the you know, web um, and apps that we had. So whether that was competitor reviews, you know, social media stuff, um, CRM, we did a tiny bit of A-B testing with CRM, that's sort of my, you know, foray into that, bit of forecasting and a lot of focus on advertising sales and sponsorship. So um, obviously there's a revenue part to it as well. So that was also a very good um, exposure to different elements of, of a product manager today. Even back then, we still did not have a product manager role. It was, there were producers, editorial team, design, technology, sales, but there was no one called product manager back at that time. Um, yeah, and then I guess fast forwarding to how I got into product. Um, I was I was literally just picked, to be honest. Um, I was actually really surprised. I had no idea what product management was actually. Um, I was at I'd moved from Fox to Guardian Australia to Seven West Media. Um, hang on, yep, that's right, <laughs> Seven West Media, um, where all of them were digital digital insights, analytics, research, like all, all those skills that I've mentioned. Um, and most of those companies were looking towards digital transformation. They either had like a heavy print background, a heavy TV background, or they're digital first. So they needed more, way more uh, in the digital space. Um, and then someone tapped me on the shoulder for KO, even though it wasn't called KO back then. It was, I, I think I'm allowed to say it, but it was called Project Martian um, back then because there was no name. And so we we're in a basement in the dark where no one could see us. And that was very interesting. Um, but someone tapped me on the shoulder and I explained exactly the history that I just said. And they said, great, we think we would like, you know, to have you, you know, with us. And I was like, great. And they said, and they said what's the role? And they said, it's a product manager. And I said, what the hell is that? <laughs> Actually, what I think I said was, I don't know anything about design and technology. That, that's, I think that's literally what I said. Um, and then through the course of that role and a lot of reading and a lot and talking to a lot of people around me, uh, reading a lot of blogs about what product management is and isn't, and you know, there's not right or wrong silver bullet, but just to um, be clear in my own mind what that is and, and how I fit into that. So um, yeah, so bringing all those um skills to that role where the strategy i think was more set rather than me having to formulate it but understanding how to work with a team that went from 20 to 200 people to make that strategy come alive and, and launch that thing okay okay interesting so there's a sense in which i mean you kind of had all these skills that were in the bank so to say and then the opportunity to present itself, which is probably different to say maybe a lot of people that we listening to this podcast, which are more to see product management as a goal and wanting to get into it. Are there any specific um, tips that you'd give someone? Let's say they have a couple of years under their belt, mm -hmm. um, whether that's in something that's data heavy, whether that's in research or providing any insights. You know, if they were really like, okay, I want to really move into this space, what would be some tips that you'd give them? 
So, I mean, from my own experience, um, you know, let's say you're a research manager or, yeah, you're, you're a data analyst, you know, in some organisation you want to get into product. So you already have an, you know, you're already a subject matter expert in one area. Now you've got to get your, your knowledge up at least to a generalist level in the other areas so that you can understand where your, you know, your, where your expertise fits in. Um, so you can get a sense of the bigger picture. Um, and then so you can you know, bring a team together to, you know, um, solve problem for customers in the business context and, and deliver it. Um, the way I had done it, like I said, at, at KO was, you know, I, I didn't know anything about it, but I was just a, you know, read every blog, every website, every book. Um, and it doesn't mean that there's a right or wrong, like I said, it's more for you to understand um, what product management um, means for you and the kinds of frameworks and tools that might work for you. There's, you know, thousands of them, so they might not be, um, you know, one, you know, one that fits all that, that kind of thing. Um, and there's a lot of talking to other people. So actually how I learned more about Agile was um, there was a, a, you know, an Agile evangelist, I guess, is that what is self-proclaimed? I don't know if they use those titles anymore. Um, but I learned a lot from him, whether I agreed with him or not, but just, you know, understanding what the sort of utopia is supposed to be, but the practical reality in working in a news corp company is that that, that does not happen. <laughs> so you need to take the bits that work and then adapt the others um, and help influence the team to, you know, make sure that happens. So I guess for, like I said, it, there's, there's no there's no reason because there's no product management path like a, a tradition i mean there is a traditional path that has evolved but it's not like you go to university and you do this thing and yeah. you do this thing you do this thing i haven't had any i haven't had any qualifications although i'm sort of semi sort of popping into some you know qualifications now but to me they seem like very logical frameworks that i've actually put into practice but i also i always want to be on top of those frameworks so um, you know, because you're always looking for, for something better um, to improve. So, yeah, I, part of it is reading a lot. Part of it is networking a lot to understand how that fits. Um, a lot of it is, you know, the way I, I um, talk to some people, give advice is if you can, if you can convince and persuade someone of what you would do doesn't matter if you haven't done it but if you've done your reading and you've brought you know you bring your research skills to the table and you go this is this is what i'll be able to really own and drive this is what i've picked up in my knowledge this is how i would approach it this is how i'd approach the team and how i'd work with the team this is what i've read about this this is how i learn things um a little bit more of your self-awareness of how you pick up things then then it's up to the person that's hiring obviously if you're the right type of person because product management isn't just the technical right it's more the you're influencing a whole bunch of people that come from different backgrounds you really need to have some sort of self-awareness and awareness of others to be able to bring that together that's not something you can do a course in it but it's it's actually something that you need to practice and and if you can talk about it it's actually a very strong selling point to get into um product management um okay so it almost sounds like you know play the long game to an extent, mm. grow into it a bit more organically, um, has it have it as a kind of a goal that you're moving towards, but you can kind of come into it from, let's say, your particular perspective as an SME rather than kind of jumping straight into it. You know, think about it as a, a kind of organic move that you can make. Yeah, absolutely. It's the way I've seen it as my career has um, evolved is you just build, they're just building blocks. You're building on top of things, but you don't have to, you know, I think some people feel stuck where they go, oh, 
you know, but I've never done that and I've never done that course. I'm like, doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you, you really, the, the weird thing about product management, it's not like, you know, I don't code. I, you know, I have to actually learn how to code if I'm going to be a coder. Product management is like, you can start practicing elements of product management in your role right now. Yeah, it's cross-functional. It's a, it's a understand the bigger picture. If you're too much in the weeds and details, then you know, talk to your leader or some someone in the strategy team, etc. Get a bigger picture. Get a bigger view of why the company is doing what they're doing and how you fit into it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, would there be any, let's say, hurdles or problems that you've faced, kind of coming into the product space? Um, with your background, kind of working within sports, but also having that diverse, varied professional background? Yeah, I, I think it's like both kind of like internal, external. Like in, internally, um, and this will be, you know, very common in, in females as well, you know, there's a bit of imposter syndrome. There's a bit of lack of confidence. Like, I'm not sure if I can do this. Who else has done this? I don't see many female you know, product managers out there. So I've gone looking for them. That's not everyone's um, sort of approach. I'm very proactive, you know, I'm really out there type person. So I'll just go out there and as even if it sort of scares me, it's like, yep, I've just got to do it. Otherwise it's not going to happen. Um, you know, there's, yeah, a bit of low confidence, like especially when you're starting from absolute scratch, right? You kind of, you, you kind of go, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't know how to even, you know, start reaching out to people. Some people are, you know, freaked out about connecting to people on LinkedIn, you know? Um, so, and especially if you're more introverted as well, but there are there are you know ways to get around that i think um but externally as well like i said um you know it's sort of the hiring practices and and opportunity like you know some job ads the way they're written they might you know not really appeal to females and things like that because they're more technical rather than on that soft skill sort of side as well um but hopefully they're sort of um you know improving i guess and i think there's just a general you know especially in technology product there's just a, i think there's sometimes a gender bias i guess and, and stereotypes that you know it's just a more you know male dominated you know it's just you know you're you're kind of picturing a male to be in that role and particularly for me in sports and tech it's sort of the double whammy um I people yeah. always wonder why I, you know, how I kept going, and I just, I just really love sports, man. Like, like I, I'm just like, you know, I really love my basketball and my AFL and my football and everything, and you know, that's what I do. So, um, you know, similar to how I, you know, similar to my approach, I guess, um, on building on my skill set, it's just sort of the same thing. I just find a way, find a way forward. Um, but I've had to find a way forward. Um, sort of embracing my own uniqueness um not trying you know for a very early part of my career i thought i had to sort of act and speak and be like a certain person generally a male person because that's who the senior product people were or the senior people were and then somewhere along the journey especially in the last 10 years i just realized that I had my own authentic style and a problem solve in a different way and I the people gravitate towards me for some reason but I don't know maybe just super social um but there was, <laughs> well, that too I, I know yeah, I can confirm too. that to any listener out there yeah I mean I guess without sort of sounding I I haven't really quite maybe this is what I've got to explore in my career break but I think what I um, barreled it down to was I have an ability to earn people's trust very quickly and I guess that comes from some genuine genuine reason for the for them to succeed for the team to succeed for the business to succeed you know i used to deny that i was a high achiever someone told me i was a high achiever i was like i'm not a high achiever and then i realized that i guess i was <laughs> after i analyzed it but um you know so when that comes across um yeah that makes it um much easier but yeah i mean there's some challenges 
um, where, and I, I guess I've always, you know, I'm in a privileged position. I think I have the support around me and I have a really good family and friends network. Um, some people don't know where to start with that. And I think some of that challenge is where would I start to even reach out to that network? And if anyone wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm more than happy to connect. But it's that kind of thing, like yeah. where are the safe, safe areas? You know, it's just like a product manager you want, or a leader, you know, psychological safety, you know, you want to be able to chat without, you know, feeling you know, embarrassed or what or whatnot. Um, and you're not going to come to some big conference and speak in front of a thousand people and raise your hand kind of thing. You want some sort of maybe smaller, I don't know, coaching, mentoring groups to help transition there and, you know, build the confidence of what you bring to the table, build your confidence that you can attack the other bits that need to happen and and then externally know that there are opportunities there. Um, but there are some challenges to sort of upsell yourself a bit more than the traditional um sort of path to get there in my mind. Okay, okay. So um, obviously there's been there's gender bias that you're kind of addressing within sports and technology more broadly. Um, but I guess specifically for the product space, I, I, there are a few things maybe to unpack, but you categorize or even give say three to four strategies or tips for any women that are kind of what they might experience getting into product more um, broadly in tech or sports? Yeah, look, I I truly think that, you know, a, a diverse and inclusive team um, means that we need to celebrate more the uniqueness and the individualization and the strengths of, you know, what everyone brings to the table. And we're not seeing enough of that from um, females. So one of the, one of the, I guess, skills and techniques I would encourage particularly females to lean in lean in on but also other males as well is you know understand your own um sphere of influence and how you do that and how you want to do that in your own you know hopefully positively a positive you know cultural way and what how that's going to help the team and help um the business or the company that you're in um some of but to build on that skill, like I'm not saying you have to go to some expensive leadership course, although, you know, that can help sometimes, I guess. It's a yep. lot of self-awareness, self-reflection, awareness of yourself, how you react to things, awareness of other people in all your other um, work experiences, how they've reacted to you, um, so that you can get a true understanding of how are you going to influence a group of different diverse people that are different from yourself um to a common goal and it's actually super hard like it's actually it's a weird it's a weird non-technical um you know qualification skill but it's the one that art and science kind of thing huh? yeah that's right i mean you know if other people can build if other people you know yes that person can code and that person can design and that person can research things and that but the point is that group has to come together and that unique skill which is not repeated you know my style of leadership is not the same as someone else's style of leadership it's an amazing thing what human beings can do um that is the skill that is the uh, you know the unique skill that you can hone and if you can really articulate that and give examples of how you've done that or or even talk about how you want it to be and this is what you're trying to do to you know sort of um become that kind of um you know influential person that um you know aligns to your values i guess um that's th that is one of the major ones that i expect um you should focus on um I guess the or, other or anything yeah. maybe even specific about how you understand diversity within a team because you know gender diversity is one thing but then oh. obviously there's age and then Absolutely. obviously there's background and so I mean, maybe how do we we think about diversity within a team because it's a kind of diversity itself is a diverse issue um 
and then how you've personally gone about you know thinking about these issues and then kind of building these diverse teams and maybe some of the outcomes that you've had uh, and if you have any stories that That'd be great yeah. to share. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I never um, thought of myself as a leader. I've had people come up to me and say, you are sort of like an informal leader because people just gravitate towards you and you're either supporting them or problem solving, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and only more recently, like I said, did I sort of sort of start to see patterns and in, in my own sort of style of leadership and, and I guess people giving feedback to me voluntarily. Um, but I guess the one thing is I myself, I, I know, as I said, I'm very extroverted, you know, social type of person and that's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, and when I, you know, when I talk to, you know, I, I, in quite a few teams I've had, you know, especially in technology teams, they're much more introverted, um, um, you know, developers who just, you know, like the headphones and coding things, but I had to establish a relationship and I just adapted my communication and, and built our own relationship, you know, sort of that way. And so, you know, people always found it interesting, like, Sam's so out there and, you know, but, you know, XYZ, you know, developers love chatting to her, even though they hardly say anything in XYZ meeting. And I go, yeah, because it's, I value every single person in the team. Everyone has a role, otherwise I wouldn't be there. And if, you know, people don't think they're contributing as, as much, then it, it requires a bit of a tough conversation about, you know, accountability and what how, you know, what the role is and how each role is supposed to work with each other. But when you earn that trust, um, uh, like I said, uh, you know, I wanted to know where the analytics came from. I just didn't want to just look at the data and go, yeah, there we go. I go, no, I wanted to know when I do this on the screen and what exactly are you doing? And when it pings and this gobbledygook comes back at me, does that mean this? And they go, yeah. Or they'll say, you know, this, you know, I'll just sort of translate, you know, something more complex and something more simple. And I go, is that what you'd like me to say to the business executives? And I'll say, yeah, and I go, great. And, you know, obviously give credit where credit's due. Like it's just a genuine you know, the openness, I suppose, and transparency. But um, I think, yeah, I guess the way I've um, built and sort of led diverse teams is when I've arrived at a place, like I said, there's, you know, it could be, you know, whether it's 10 or 200 people, everyone's individual. I know that I'm quite extreme Sam. <laughs> um, so that actually makes me even more um, aware that I need to be conscious of that for other people because I want to make sure that they're at their best or that they feel safe in what they're doing. So, you know, you can imagine in meetings and groups, whether they're remote or in person, obviously the more confident people, extrovert people, you know, they speak louder, they want to interrupt, et cetera, and you need to control that meeting. You need to take off the Sam extrovert hat and be that proper leader to make sure that everyone's, um, you've heard from everyone, they've been given the consideration even to the point of different formats, right? Some people like the pre-planned meeting where you send the notes and they want to think about the questions and then we address them in the meeting. Some people just want to go off the fly, although I don't love that, but, you know, as long as they're, you know, that's great if they want to do their sort of face-to-face -face sort of brainstorming, but that's not for everybody. Um, there's just different ways to brainstorm, different ways to problem solve, different ways to information gather, different ways to learn, different ways to even present. And these are the things that I guess I... Uh, I guess probably, you know, KOAFL and, and more recently at Aura that I've um, tried to learn more about, tried to practice, 
Um, and I will continue to do that because, you know, that that's actually the secret juice anyway of any company. It's actually the individualization of everyone, but um, it's letting that all come out in its more, most natural space and there's no one way or the other. Um, so, yeah, even for me, like I was always a more left brain person, more analytical, logical numbers and things. And I remember the first time someone said, I, I was trying to communicate with someone and she wasn't getting it and someone said have you tried drawing on a whiteboard and I was like oh god I'm really oh no the drawing part and so I did it and then you know the symbolic symbolic stuff like it and it landed and I, and that that was actually very very early on in my career that I realized different ways of communicating to different people is so effective and um so that just made me you know I've got these how to draw books all over you know everywhere in my in my room I, I'm not going to be the best drawer but but the more I can effectively communicate with someone else who thinks like that um or who processes information like that then the faster that team is going to succeed yeah okay like catering to all modes of you know different communication but also speeds of communication how people are going to communicate yeah and where I, I, I'm sure we've all been in the situation where a lot of the time you end up with listening to the loudest person in the room. That's right. Um, and yeah. that that probably used to be me in my early days, to be honest. So actually, I've got you know I have a little post-it note on my in my, on my screen where all, just in big capital letters it just says listen, listen, shut up, <laughs> anything, just listen because the things and you know it's beyond just the words. It's you know the language, the body language, and the you know the tone and everything. Um, and, you know, I just remind myself because sometimes I get too energetic and I want to butt in and I want to just, you know, get into it. Um, but that, it's not my time. It's the time for that person. So, um, and you want to make sure they have that space to, um, you know, sort of really think through, um, their thoughts and things and, and share that with the team. So, yeah, okay. quite a bit. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, okay. I've got a last question sure. and a bit of a trial question. I'd like to you know, be asking everyone this question. Uh, the future is unwritten and technology is radically altering the world around us. Sam, would you like to have a crack at what product management might look like in the future? That's a very broad, open-ended question and feel free to address it any way you want. We'll be replaced by AI bots, no kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so Look, future product management is always exciting because it's, um, I mean, generally speaking, always tied to emerging technology, right? So, um, and I wouldn't say, is AI emerging or is it here? I mean, I think it's here. There's so much, you know, content around it. But I guess when I think about, when I think about, say, you know, AI, I think, yes, there are AI products. So that's one thing in the future. But really, it's just the the productivity that, you know, it, it, it's actually the productivity of, um uh, you know, of, of product management, of what these AI tools can do, whether it's, you know, I don't know, whatever, data, predictive analytics and personalization and automated testing, and it's just going to go from here to here to here. Um, but actually, so that actually means to me that if that if that element of productivity is um, being enhanced by technology, then, as I said before, the actual future of product management is more the people side because the product management side is, you know, it's again okay yep we've got all these machines and you know artificial intelligence solutions um you know doing all these things for us and what are we doing about the creative creativity to solve the problem for the users in that business that is yeah. a people thing that is a 
there's no AI that's going to come like it needs human input. Um, and you know, I actually, I, I guess some people might be scared, but I actually think it's a bonus. Like, it, like all this, the what AI can do to transform. It's like digital transformation of what TV and print organizations. When I was there, now it's like AI is transforming. You know how we are right now. Um, and you know, yes, well, there's I'm sure there's some privacy things and things to sort out, and you know, people a bit worried about Skynet and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, but again, but what they can't do is it can't relate to a person. It cannot relate to a person's, you know the dreams, the ambitions, the fear, the trauma, the thing that unlocks the person to be able to do what they need to do. So it still needs that empathetic yep. management of relationships. That's really what it comes down to. You'd be able to automate plenty of processes, but well, at least not yet that we'll be able yes. to automate that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Until we have artificial general intelligence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I mean, you know, when I think about, you know, I think about the space that I'm looking into right now and coaching and mentoring, I mean, there's an, an unlimited unlimited market because uh, everyone's individual. It's not like you can coach someone that's like, yeah, you can do some group coaching, but everyone has their own different experiences, uh, emotions and things like that. So um, I do think that, you know, aligning to the same vision, you know, being being accountable, earning trust to get the most out of an agile environment, that still requires a, a very strong product manager, product leader to do so. Um, but yeah, in terms of like, you know, I get it from the sports tech, you know, perspective where I just was like, I, I get super excited about what products can be created based on, you know, emerging tech and it's like AR and VR and wearables and Web3. And I go, yeah, because when I look at, you know, sports fan engagement products right now, they suck. They And I've got 50 of them on my phone and I've been in it and, you know, sorry to my former employees, but like they suck. But the what this technology can do, even though legacy tech is very expensive to get rid of, they can transform the actual customer experience, which is the whole point of the product. So, you know, I do think that, um, you know, the future of product management and merging tech is, you know, intertwined and you can't not be across it. Um, otherwise, you, you'll miss the boat. But um, like I said, the other half is how are you going to bring what's happening in tech with the people that are here to make that experience happen? Um, and that is, that is, you know, when I think of a future PM where you go, okay, what does the ideal PM look like? Yep, they're going to be across those technology trends. They're going to have some SME of some sort and they're going to have a more generous feel about, um, you know, how things come together. But they also have to have a feel of how people come together and how that's going to happen. How's that going to happen at scale with distributed teams, with remote teams? I mean, yep, some are coming back to office, some are not. But even I've realised in a, in a startup that I was recently at, like even into office stuff is hard. Um, and so, you know, how are you going to do that, um, you know, in the future, it, you know, should be an interesting challenge for a lot of people. All right. Well, look, thanks so much for your time today, Sam. That was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, look, thanks a lot for coming on. No worries. You. You. I, I didn't have to say a word there. I was transfixed on what you were saying. <laughs> I, might as, I might as well not have been here. I'm just saying this now so a lot of people know I was here. That's the only reason I'm saying anything. Yeah. FYI, Chris is on the podcast. So. <laughs> I've taken the role of a producer. Excellent. All right. Brilliant. Thank you so much.